Father, as we have already sung this morning, you are worthy. You are worthy because you have redeemed for yourself people from every tongue and tribe and nation. You have a story of salvation that stretches from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis to the end. And by your grace, you have written us into this story. And so, Father, as we turn into your word now and as we learn more about what you have done, as we learn more about the gospel, I pray that it would uh, leave us in wonder and awe. It would lead us to gratitude and worship that we might love Christ our Savior more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Francis. I am one of the pastors here on staff. I have the privilege of overseeing Beacon, which is our college ministry, uh, as well as church life. I'm thankful for the opportunity to open God's word for us this morning. You know, I was tempted actually to start by showing you another viral meme, but uh, I know that only someone young and hip like Pastor Allen can pull that off, at least young at heart. So we'll just start by reading our Bibles this morning. (laughs) So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Galatians chapter three. We'll be, or for our time, we'll look at verses six to nine of Galatians three, but I'll start reading from Galatians Uh, or I'll start reading from verse one. Galatians three, verse one, Paul says, "'O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? "'It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ "'was publicly portrayed as crucified. "'Let me ask you only this, "'did you receive the spirit by works of the law "'or by hearing with faith? "'Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, "'are you now being perfected by the flesh?' Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here's our passage, verse six. Just as Abraham believed God and he was counted to him as righteousness. Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of God. Sometimes when you receive that long awaited job offer or you've been accepted into that school or organization that you've been hoping to get into, uh, there's this condition that is given to you called a probationary period or probation. And what that means is that you are in, but for this determined amount of time at the beginning, it's still kind of like a test run, right? Maybe you don't have your full privileges yet. You don't have have as much flexibility uh, or you can't take PTO yet. And it's as if those people who just hired you are saying to you, you know, we'll we'll watch you a little bit more closely uh, to make sure that you're a good fit. Like we just wanna make sure that you actually belong here and then maybe after that, maybe this, after this probation period is over, then you can breathe a sigh of relief, right? Maybe after this, then like you're officially in. Well, I wonder if there are some of you here this morning who feel that way when it comes to the Christian life. And for myself, even now as a pastor, I know that there have been many times in, in my Christian life where I've had this certain template or this certain picture of what I thought a good Christian or a godly and mature person looks like. Uh, You know, you go to church this many times a week, you spend this many times or this many minutes in your quiet time. 
you know this much theology, you use these certain words in your vocabulary, you serve in this ministry, you're part of a small group. Uh, for parents, you, you parent your kids a certain way, right? you don't make certain choices like that, or you don't participate in, in these activities. And maybe even for you, you think about, as you think about being here at Lighthouse, like there is a list of items in your mind. Of like, this is what it means to be part of Lighthouse. This is how I fit in. This is how I, I keep up with everyone else around me. And if you check all of those boxes, right? If you fulfill all of those things and you're in, that, that you truly belong, that you're progressing as a good Christian. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that those things are bad or unimportant. You know, things like church attendance and spiritual disciplines are, are good things. And in the Bible, we see that change and growth and godliness are important and they're even expected for us in the Christian life. So that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, in Hebrews 4, 12 to 14, it says that the author, uh, or the author talks about how the believers he's writing to are still on milk rather than on spiritual food. And so they should have been further along, right? But, but they still need someone to teach them the basics. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is our tendency to look at all of those things, that list of items, and to be like, okay, now that I'm in, this is what I have to do. This temptation to think that all of a sudden, once you become a Christian, you have to flip a switch and you start thinking in a different mode, that you continue on in the Christian life by your works or by your performance or by how many things you do for God, you continue on differently than how you started it, which is by simple faith. And I think many of us can relate to that and we feel that because that's human nature, isn't it? Like we want to prove to others that we belong. For us to earn something that feels more natural, that feels more comfortable than for someone to give us a free gift. Well, as we've already seen all throughout Galatians, the way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. A faith for the Christian is not just a door that you walk through once at the beginning of your Christian life, but it is a path that you walk on that you never leave the importance of faith that's always by faith from start to finish. And Paul says all throughout the book of Galatians, if you think otherwise, then you have misunderstood the gospel. You've moved away from God's grace in the gospel of Christ. And just to review where we are, Paul writes this letter to the Galatian believers um, because in verse one, he says that they have been bewitched. Right? They've been led astray by these false teachers uh, who were called the Judaizers, the Judaizers taught that not only did you have to believe in Jesus for salvation, but you also had to ad adopt um, all these like Old Testament Jewish laws. So you had to obey, you had to observe these rituals, you had to do things like circumcision. And for Paul, this is an urgent and a serious problem. It is the difference between a gospel that saves and a false gospel that condemns. And so he is emphatic all throughout this, uh, this letter. We've already seen, he, he doesn't mince his words. It's like he grabs these Galatian believers by the shoulders. He's, he's trying to shake them out of it, right? Like, wake up, this is not the gospel. The only true saving gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And our passage is at the beginning of this section in chapters three to four, where Paul is kind of shifting his argument a little bit. So far in chapters one and two, he's argued based on his autobiography. So he's defended his apostleship. He's defended how he received the gospel message. And now in chapters three to four, he starts to turn to making an argument from scripture. 
And he, he turns to the Old Testament itself. He looks at people like Abraham. Um, he, he examines the purpose of the law. He even exegetes specific words from Old Testament passages, as we'll see later on. And as we saw in last week's passage, verses one to five, which we read, uh, before even jumping into all of that, he first reminds the Galatian believers of their own testimony of when they were first converted. And in verse three, he asks this question, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The flesh is your own human effort, your own good works, your own obedience, things like circumcision. Or if we can put it in terms of that opening illustration, have you been offered the job? Have you been accepted into the club? Have you been welcomed onto the team only to be put on probation? Only to to have to prove yourself that you really belong? And Paul's answer is, of course not, right? Of course not, that's not the gospel. From the Galatians' own testimony, they saw that it was by faith and not works that the spirit undeniably and powerfully worked in their lives. Uh, as they responded to the preaching of Christ crucified, as they suffered for the sake of Christ. Well, when we get to our verses, verses six to nine, Paul is still making that same point, right? The centrality of faith, but he just argues it a different way. Um, you can think of it this way. If he goes back to the Galatians spiritual baby picture in verses one to five, like the beginning of their Christian lives, then in our verses, he goes back even further to their spiritual family picture to their relationship to Abraham. And what this family picture shows us is that faith was always the plan. God's plan for righteousness was always embraced by faith. And that is not, or that's the message, not only of the gospel that that Paul was preaching to them, but that is the message of the entire Bible. And so we'll look at this in two parts um, this morning. First, we wanna just understand Paul's argument, right? He uses, or he assumes knowledge that we might not all know. We wanna understand that Paul's, that God's plan for righteousness was always embraced by faith. And then secondly, we'll think through application and how actually understanding that plan encourages our faith in Christ. And so number one, God's plan for righteousness was always embraced by faith. Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous, I have a dream speech said these words, when the architects of our Republic wrote the magnificent words of the constitution, in the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note or a check to which every American was to fall heir. And this note was a promise that all men would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so what he does there is he appeals to the foundational values and principles that our nation was built on. And he says the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And even though uh, throughout history, people in our nation have maybe erred in uh, upholding and protecting those unalienable rights. He says that as citizens of this nation, we are heirs to those commitments. We are entitled to those promises. We have claim on them, right? He uses the metaphor of cashing a check. They are ours because they have always been there, even from the writing of our nation's founding documents. And that's what Paul is kind of doing here. He says that justification by faith has always been at the heart of God's message ever since the beginning. And specifically, he brings up uh, the person of Abraham in verse six. And uh, when you read that, it might seem random to us because maybe some of you don't don't know who Abraham was, or even if you did grow up at church, you might just be somewhat familiar with him. Like all you might know about him is, as Pastor Euphemio said, is that he's a father who had many sons and somehow you and I are one of them. And so let's all praise the Lord, 
right? I was ready to like do the whole thing, but that would be the only thing that you remember from this message. So I'll refrain for your edification. So who was Abraham? Abraham was a, is a significant person, not just for the Jews as the father of their nation, but also for us when we think about the story of the Bible. Remember in Genesis 1 to 2, God created the world. And we know that it only took until chapter 3, right? Genesis 3, that, that man sinned. And everything that, that was originally created good and perfect and right was now subjected to the curse of sin, curse of sin right? Everything was broken now. And we see that uh, very quickly in the chapters that follow. We see this rapid downward spiral of brother murdering brother, these genealogies that just end in death. Uh, we see corruption and the havoc of sin. And there is this refrain of cursed and the ground is cursed because of you. And you read those chapters and it seems like hope is nowhere to be found. But then we get to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, one to three. And this is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. And when you read that, it's like some light finally breaks in. We have this turning point and God makes this massive promise of blessing to Abraham. In those two verses, you have the word blessing or bless five times in just two verses. And it's the beginning stages of this plan that God has to restore the whole world that is gonna stretch from Genesis to Revelation. This is what it says in Genesis 12, one to three. This is the promise that God makes to Abraham. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, in, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul quotes that last phrase in verse eight of our passage. Now, as important as this moment is in the story of the Bible, it probably doesn't seem that important to many of us, right? We read that and we're like, oh, that, that seems kind of far removed from us. Like we don't, we probably don't think about Abraham much, but whether we realize it or not, realize it or not all of us seek and all of us desire this blessing. Like we just sing about it in that song, is he worthy, right? We, we desire light in this darkness for everything to be reversed, and one of the main things that is, that is associated with God's blessing is favor. It is relationship with him. And so to receive this blessing is to be one of God's people and to have all of the benefits that that entails. Uh, we see that in our passage, Paul connects this blessing with being counted righteous before God with justification. Or you think of the well-known benediction in number six, uh, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so to be blessed is to have those words be true about you, right? Like that is what characterizes, describes your relationship with God. But we know that there's a problem, right? That's not true of us. When sin entered the world in Genesis three, that once perfect relationship with God is now broken. And since then, since that moment, Every single person has been seeking some kind of solution to make things right. Like every single person has been seeking this blessing and we seek it in different ways, whether it's trying to undo the curse of sin by seeking our own like lowercase b blessings, our own possessions and accumulating more achievements and experiences and relationships. Like we, we want our own blessings to escape the fallenness and the curse of this world or whether it's trying to just gain right standing before God by, by going to church, by being a good person. 
And so really this blessing has to do with all of us. All of us want this, we're seeking this. It has to do with the big questions about life in this world. What can be done about the problem of sin and how can I stand right before God? The pressing question in Galatians is how do you get it? See the Judaizers, they said that it was by your works, it was by your obedience, you, you get circumcised, you become a Jew. And they would say, after all, that's what Abraham did. And if you wanna be a son of Abraham, if you wanna be part of his family, then it means that you're like him, right? And, and Abraham was obedient, Abraham was circumcised, he, he observed God's law. And Paul would say, you know what, you're right. It is by being like Abraham, except Abraham himself agrees with what I've been saying all along. Abraham was not justified by his own goodness, by his own obedience, but he was justified by faith. And to prove that in verse six, Paul quotes another very important passage in the Old Testament, which is Genesis 15, six. Now, remember how we said earlier in Genesis 12 that one of God's promises to Abraham was to make of him a great nation, right? To, to bless the rest of the world through Abraham's family. And so in Genesis 15, things don't quite look so different yet. And so uh, Abraham's kind of doubting. He's like, uh, you know, so about this, this nation thing, this family thing, there's a problem, like, I don't have any kids. You know, I don't, I don't have any offspring. And like, look at me, I'm not, I'm old, right? Like, I'm, I'm no spring chicken. My, my wife is old. And uh, the Bible actually calls Abraham as good as dead, like twice. That, that's how old he was. And this is what it says in Genesis 15. This is what God does to Abraham's doubts. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, and here's the verse that Paul quotes, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So what does Abraham do? He simply trusts in God's promise. Right? That's it. That's all that he does. And what else could he have done in response to such an, a seemingly impossible promise? He could not uh, make himself any younger, right? He could not produce his own offspring by his own power. And actually in that passage, at first Abraham is like, you know, I don't have any kids, uh, but I have a servant. You know, maybe the, the servant can be the heir. And God says, no, he's not gonna be the heir. It's gonna be your own son. Like I'm gonna do what I said. And Abraham simply places his faith in what God has said. And it says as a response that God counted it to him as righteousness. Now that language there is talking about being credited, being given a righteousness that does not inherently belong to you an alien righteousness, an outside righteousness. It's talking about being counted righteous even before he was righteous, even before he did anything righteous. And in fact, this is 14 years before God even mentions circumcision in Genesis 17. This is 400 years before God even gave the law to Moses. And so Paul says, if it was by faith, if it's by believing and not doing that Abraham is counted righteous before God, then, then it is the same solution for the sons of Abraham as well. It is the same solution for all of us, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are like Abraham in the Old Testament who looked forward to the fulfillment of that promise, or whether you are like us, New Testament believers who look back at Christ who fulfilled that promise. What saves us into the family of God is simple faith, right? trusting in what God has said. That's it. Now, why faith? Have you ever thought about that? Like we know that faith is the right answer. Have you ever thought why faith? 
Like we already said, if, if our need for justification, if the big problem that we have is how can we stand accepted before God with our sin, then faith says that our, the solution cannot be our own works. The solution cannot be our own goodness. And that's what actually next week's passage is about, verses 10 to 14. Verse 10 says, if you rely on works of the law, then you're cursed, right? And, and notice the contrast between our passage and that one. It says faith and blessing in our passage and then law and curse in next week's passage. And so how can we be declared righteous? Well, the only answer is because of what God has done. Because of our sin, all of us deserve God's curse. We don't deserve his blessing. Verse 13 says, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, that Jesus Christ takes our curse and we get his righteousness. And that is the message of the gospel, isn't it? Like when you became a Christian, that is what you placed your faith in. That's the promise that you trusted in, that we stand accepted before God, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness in our place. And so why is faith so important? Because faith is the only thing that we can do. Faith is, it's not even a good work. It's just an open hand that receives what all that God has done for us, all that God wants to give to us. is free and his gracious provision. And I think there is, there's great encouragement for us that out of all of the passages that, that Paul could have chosen about Abraham in the Bible, and, and there's a lot of them because Abraham is a very prominent person in the Bible. Out of all of those passages, Paul specifically chooses this Genesis 15, 6 moment as center stage, as the defining reality of Abraham's life. Like if Paul were to use your life, if he were to use my life as an example, this would be as if he shines the spotlight on like when you believed as a fifth grader, you know, at VBS, or when the, your friend shared the gospel with you and, and you, you came to salvation, or when you were sitting here in service just on an ordinary Sunday, and for some reason it clicked and, you, and God changed your heart to trust in him for the first time. Right, this is the moment that you trusted in Christ uh, for salvation for the first time. And especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you think back to that moment and you think back to, or you think where you are now, and you've probably grown so much since then. You've probably changed for the better, right? Maybe exponentially. Because back then, whenever that moment was, you didn't, have, uh, you didn't have as much knowledge about God in the Bible as you do now. Right? Your life isn't as Christ-like as it is now. Uh, you didn't have all your theological ducks in a row. Maybe you were wrong about certain things. You weren't as spiritually mature as you are now. And if it was up to us, like, we would probably shine that spotlight on a different moment in our lives. I would say like, look at this. Look at when I overcame that sin. Look at when I finished my Bible reading plan. Uh, look at when I led this person to Christ or when I became a member at Lighthouse. Uh, for me, like look at when I graduated seminary, when I became a pastor. And the question that our passage asks us is, do you think that your standing before God is any different now after you've done all of those things versus back then when you first believed? you think you are any more accepted in the eyes of God? Do you think you're any better or worse now, now than when he first looked at you back then, when you first trusted? And the great wonder of justification by faith is that the answer to that question is no. That God does not look at you any differently. You are not any more or less approved now versus back then. Do you know why? Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see your righteousness. He doesn't see all the ways that you've grown, all the ways that you've grown as a Christian. He doesn't see what you have done. He sees 
Christ's righteousness. You know, before uh, John Bunyan, he's, he's the great Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. Before he got saved, he, he wrestled with a lot of intense doubt and despair and uh, self-condemnation. He would read through the scriptures and he would still be unable to find any assurance, any peace. And he, he feared that his sins were unforgivable before God. And what changed for him was when he finally came to understand this doctrine, this reality that it was not his righteousness, but he had been credited with Christ's alien righteousness. And I love how he describes it. He says this, one day as I was passing into the field, the sentence fell upon my soul, that thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there I say as my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness for that righteousness was right before him. And I also saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame of heart that made my righteousness worse for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday and today and forever. And now did my chains fall off my legs. Indeed, I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away so that from that time, those dreadful scriptures left off to trouble me. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. That is true of us. And if it is true of us that our righteousness is in heaven, then that reality totally changes our relationship with God. You know, one of my favorite ways that um, scripture describes Abraham is it actually calls him a friend of God, a friend of God, James 2.23, other passages as well. Now think about it. Would you ever describe your own relationship with God that way? You are a friend of God. What other words come to mind? You know, what makes friendship so special and so enjoyable, especially those, those few close friends who know everything about you is that sense of uh, assurance, Right, that sense of security and affection and, and freedom. And, and you don't have to prove yourself before your friends. You don't have to be unsure. You don't have to earn their love. You operate just out of this genuine desire to love them. And friends, that is the kind of relationship that, that Abraham had with God. And that is a kind of relationship we can have with him as well. And the foundation of our relationship with God is not something shaky like our own obedience or our own good works but when it is the rock solid foundation of Christ's righteousness, we can be friends with God. We can enjoy that friendship. We are free to simply love and please him. And so Paul reminds us that God's plan for righteousness was always embraced by faith. And we need to know that, right? We need to know that over and over and over again. Because like, like the Galatians, we too are often tempted to slip into this kind of works-based, performance-driven, self-reliant attitude toward the Christian life. For the remainder of, remainder of our time, I wanna just think through a couple more ways that this, this plan of righteousness offers us great encouragement in our faith. And I wanna use two words or two ideas that we love here at Lighthouse. It's the words family and story. And I know that uh, one danger when it comes to things that we hear often is over-familiarity, right? Like things or words start to lose their meaning and uh, I think our passage actually helps us to deepen our understanding and our appreciation of those specific words. And so first, 
first encouragement is remember that you belong to God's family of faith. If you've been here at Lighthouse, you know that the idea of family is something that we love a lot, right? We talk about it a lot. Our, our, our leaders care about it a lot. One of the favorite ways that we refer to the people here is not like a group or a club, but it's a church family. Um, our announcements, we call it family time because it's, it's ways to live life together as a family. It's part of the DNA and the fabric of our church. And even as our church grows, we hope that that continues, that we would always see one another as brothers and sisters, as, as a family. Let me ask you, how would you describe the culture of this family? How would you describe the culture of Lighthouse? And I like how one person defined what culture is. Um, culture says that people like us do things like this. Okay, people like us do things like this. And so what is the Lighthouse version of that? Like people like us here at Lighthouse do things like this. Now, I know that thinking about culture can be a little bit tricky because um, sometimes culture is hard to recognize. It's like the water that we're swimming in. Um, or sometimes culture is just like easy to nitpick and criticize. Um, culture takes time to change, right? It's very slow to change. Um, it is shaped by leadership. It's shaped by what we believe in, our convictions and doctrines. And yet it's also shaped by the small things, the, the way that you and I interact and relate to one another. Let me just say that I have been genuinely blessed by the culture here. That all of you not only uphold gospel conviction and gospel doctrine, but you do embody gospel culture. And I hope that we would continue in that. And I, I think our passage offers us two encouragements for how we can continue to grow in that, right? a gospel of a culture of grace. Um, first, that being a family of faith means that we welcome and we move towards one another, especially those who are different than us. We welcome and we move towards one another, especially those who are different from us. In our passage, Paul reminds us that the foundational defining most important thing that enters you into God's family and what unites us all together is faith in Christ, right? Faith in Christ. It's not uh, ethnicity. It's not lev level of education. It's not political affiliation. It's not geography or common interests or socioeconomic status, but it is our common faith in Jesus Christ. And for us, we might know that in theory, um, but especially, you know, at a, a growing church like ours with so many people, so many different fellowship groups that it can feel kind of siloed off, right? We know that that's true, but it might not feel like that's true. And it's easy to just be drawn towards those who are just like us. And I think there's a place for that, for specific fellowship groups and things like that. But are you also moving towards those who you wouldn't naturally associate with? As Pastor Kim often asked us, is there something in your life that can only be explained by the gospel? And in a similar way, are there relationships, friendships in this church family, in this family of faith that can only be explained because of the gospel? Like otherwise it just doesn't make any sense to the rest of the world. Older folks and younger people, singles and married, people who are newer to Lighthouse and people who have been around for years. Do we take an interest in other people's interests? Are we willing to cross boundaries for the sake of loving one another, welcoming one another in the gospel? Second, a family of faith doesn't feel the pressure to justify ourselves before one another. Family of faith doesn't feel the pressure to justify ourselves before one another. I hope we're not doing that to each other, right? Laying these burdens on each other's backs. If justification by faith is how we stand before God, then it must inform how we stand before one another. And so are our relationships with one another marked by humility, by a graciousness, by charity, by giving others the benefit of the doubt? 
Are we generous with our encouragement? Do we celebrate God's work in each other's lives? Do we see each other as sinners, sufferers, and saints? You know, I hope that there would not be people in our church who feel like the Samaritan woman in John 4, who has to go to draw water at the well at the hottest part of the day, just so she can avoid people because of her sin and because of her shame. I hope we can be honest about our sin with each other. And that because we know Christ, because we have met Jesus, like her after she's met Jesus, we can say with her, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. You know, I hope we would not be like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that. I thank you I'm not like that person. Look at all that I've done for you recently. Look at how much I give. Look at all the ways that I serve you. But I hope that because we know Christ, we would be like a Paul, a former Pharisee, the Pharisee saved by grace. When he says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I pray that 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 would be the message that we communicate to one another. You know, with the holidays coming up so quickly, many of us will find ourselves at various family get-togethers, sitting around the table, sharing a meal, sharing stories. On God's family of faith, we sit with the most unlikely and the most unworthy people at the table. That's God's family. When you think about Abraham, Abraham did a lot of good things, a lot of commendable things. He obeyed God when it was hard. He went out from his familiar homeland even though he didn't know where he was going, he was even willing to give up his own son if it was necessary out of faith. But if you read, continue reading in the Bible, he also had a lot of flaws. Like God promises him land, but he's a nomad. He doesn't own any property. God promises to make of him a great nation and he's old. He doesn't have any kids. Before God called Abraham, he was a pagan. He had his doubts about God's faithfulness when he still didn't have an offspring he and his wife tried to sinfully take things into their own hands. Out of a fear for his life, he lied twice about his wife being his sister. And you can say the same thing about many of the other characters in scripture, that they were unlikely and they were unworthy. But, but why does the Bible choose to include all of that? Because it highlights and it magnifies God's grace. It shows us that he would even choose someone like that the most unlikely, the most unworthy people. He would still welcome, he would still accept anyone on the basis of faith. In Ephesians 1, it says that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He has brought us into his family out of his great love for us. And what is the purpose of that? Well, Paul says it is to the praise of his glorious grace. That leads us to our next point. Remember that you are part of God's story of grace. You know, in verse eight, Paul uses this interesting phrase. He says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you all the nations, uh, or in you shall all the nations be blessed. And so in that phrase, right? Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Um, it's like Paul is taking these, these threads, these echoes of the Old Testament of Abraham, this promise of blessing. And he takes these threads from the New Testament, uh, this idea of justification by faith, preaching the gospel. And for us in our minds, we don't expect to hear these things in the same sentence, right? For us, like we keep these things separately. But Paul shows us that these things really make up this intricate tapestry, 
that they are really connected and interwoven into this big story of God's grace. And it's like, he actually reads Genesis 12, one to three through the lens of Genesis 15, six. He says that God's promise to Abraham about the nations being blessed in Genesis 12, that is ultimately gonna be fulfilled as Gentiles come to faith in Christ uh, through justification, Genesis 15. And as we read through the Bible, we see how this plays out. We see the rest of the story. And so first off, like, I think this shows us, we just need to know our Bibles better, right? Like we need to know this story. We need to be able to tell it. If you think about it in the book of Galatians, Paul could have just very well ended his defense after chapters one and two. He says, I'm a true apostle, like you're not. And so just listen to me, but he doesn't. He continues with chapters three and four, where he actually points them to the scriptures and he shows them the gospel and the story of God. And maybe we'll never get to that level, but do you know the Bible well enough to know God's story, to be able to tell it and appreciate it? You know, it's been said that scripture is like a river. It is shallow enough for a lamb to walk in, but it is also deep enough for an elephant to swim. In other words, the gospel is simple enough for even a child to understand. You can share the gospel with someone in just a few sentences. And yet the gospel is deep. It is wide, it is rich. And that's what we see in our passage. That Paul tells the gospel to us, according to Abraham, that, Paul, that God's plan of right, uh, he, he shares God's plan of righteousness, even in the Old Testament. He shows that this promise of blessing for all the nations would culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. Do we know that? Like when we read this passage, can we see that? You know, like uh, many of you, I enjoy Marvel movies, but I have to admit that I'm not like super up to date or that informed about, you know, all things Marvel universe. And I just lost some credibility with some of you, but there's just, I don't remember stuff in movies that well. And there's just so many Marvel movies, right? And not to mention just movies, but now there's like Disney plus, there's all the TV series. Uh, and so for me, I'll watch like the major films, you know, like Avengers and things like that, because people talk about it and I want to I be able to talk about it with them. Um, I appreciate Marvel films, I, uh, they're entertaining, but I know that there's a lot that I, I miss, right? Uh, and I know that because if I go to watch it in a theater, uh, like someone will say, a character will say something and then people like audibly gasp, or, like there's like an actual reaction or like someone shows up on screen and people will like clap. You know, and they'll cheer. And I'm like, they can't hear you. You know, <laughs> you're watching a movie. <clears throat> and for me, I, I, like, I'm, I'm just watching this, this scene, this particular film. Uh, but for them, like, they're totally experiencing the, it in a different way, right? They, they know the whole universe. They, hold, they know how it fits into the entire storyline. And it, it increases their appreciation for it so much more. And that is kind of like our understanding of scripture. Sure, you can read a passage. You can still be amazed at what it says. You can still obey what it says, but a greater knowledge of the big story increases that worship even more. It increases that appreciation even more. And if, if you wanna learn more, there's a lot of good resources. Um, there's a book called God's Big Story by Vaughn Roberts, or there's a children's book by Kevin DeYoung called The Biggest Story, Bible Storybook. But it's not just for knowledge, right? It's not just for information's sake. And one of the reasons why we need to know this story is because we can be so tempted to, to rely on the flesh, so tempted to uh, rely on ourselves when it comes to growth and change and progress in the Christian life, because we are just focused, too focused on our own story. 
or just hyper-zoomed in on like our own lives and how we are doing. And when circumstances don't go our way or things don't look as we imagined, we grow frustrated, we grow impatient. And we say, God, like this is not happening fast enough. I'm not changing fast enough. Or this other person is not changing fast enough. Or in my story, I'm not where I thought I would be. Like I still struggle with this sin. My circumstances have not changed. And we grumble to God. We say, God, my story is not good enough. It's not moving fast enough. And we want to change our own story. We want to write things in that God doesn't have, right? We start to rely on ourselves rather than on the spirit. And if you've been here at Lighthouse, you know that you were supposed to remember God's bigger story, right? We hear that all the time. Remember God's bigger story. And so we tell ourselves, okay, I need to, I need to think a little bit bigger, right? And uh, if you imagine concentric circles and the smallest circle is like the sinful story we tell ourselves of our own lives. It's like this. And then we say, okay, I need to think a little bit bigger. And it's just like slightly bigger, right? We say, okay, I, like, what does God know about my life that I don't know? But it's still all about us. We're just focused on our own lives. But friends, his, God's big story of grace is not just this like slightly bigger circle than your circle. No, you are a speck in his story of grace. You are a grain of sand on the beach. You are just one person and God's massive theater and cast. There are millions of others all throughout redemptive history who are on stage with you. And the important thing is not how small you are, although that should lead us to some humble self-awareness. The important thing is that God has written you in, that you have been swept up into his narrative. And if you continue reading after God's promise of blessing in Genesis 12, you look at, does man change? Like, is man any less sinful? And the answer is no, right? Like they're, they're just as sinful as they were uh, following Genesis 3. There are so many points along the storyline where God's plan should have ended because of our sin. But we see throughout the Bible that God is faithful and he's determined to bless. He is determined to carry out what he has said. And when we see that, like that, that makes us small, right? That makes us realize it doesn't depend on us. Like it's really not all about us. It grows our faith and it helps us to trust him more. It leads us to thankfulness and joyful worship. It lifts our eyes up from just being hyper zoomed in on ourselves. And it gets us excited about the story of God, not just in our, not just in our own lives, but in other people's lives and in the life of our church and the life of the world. Let me close with this last thought. One of the ways that we can guard ourselves from just this self-reliance, from this uh, self-focus and dependence on the flesh is by looking outward. If we're looking outward, we'll be too busy to look inward, right? And be focused on ourselves. And that's what our mission statement reminds us of, that our mission statement here at Lighthouse is uh, to make gospel-centered disciples who exalt and proclaim Christ. That's not just here in this church, but in the entire world. And in our passage, Paul gives us a look back into our salvation history. He reminds us of the old old story of the gospel. But that look back, when we, when we look at that, it should also propel us forward, right? It gives us momentum moving forward because we see that not only God, we see not only that God has, God's story has reached us, but we also get to play a part in it as it moves forward, as it goes to the nations. And so being a family of faith, it means that like Abraham, we are willing to go out in faith. Even if we don't know where we are going, we are willing to go and to obey, to do where, what God has called, to, called us to do next. 
Being part of God's story of grace for the nations means that we recognize that God has chosen us, his disciples, to be the ones who go out to the nations, to make disciples, to teach everyone all that God has commanded. So going back to that opening job illustration or uh, about probation, rather than just being so focused on yourself, right, on your own status, rather than just being focused on like, what is my standing before other people or how much I make or uh, this performance evaluation, our passage helps us to say, you know what? I'm just happy to be here. Like, I'm, just, I'm just happy to work here because I know that I don't deserve it. I'm not qualified. I don't have the credentials, but I've been given a perfect resume. I've been given Christ's resume. And I'm so glad that I get to be part of this family. I get to be written into this story. I get to be part of this mission of God for the nations. All by God's grace, embraced through faith. Let's pray. Father, we confess that so many times in our Christian lives, we have such a small picture of our own story. We are so focused on our own works, on our own obedience. We think that it all depends on us. In our passage this morning, you've given us such a big picture, such a gracious picture of what you have done in our lives, of the basis uh, on which you accept us, which is by faith. You've shown us the wonder that we can be part of your family of faith, that we can be part of your story of grace. Father, I pray that what we heard this morning, that it would warm our hearts, that we would never depend on our own works, but we would celebrate your grace. And I pray that what we have heard this morning, it would propel us outward beyond the walls of this church, even to the nations, knowing that we get to be part of your plan. Do that as we respond to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.